0: Good afternoon. We have travelled through John's Gospel for the last few weeks, and today is no exception. In John's Gospel, the story moves forwards from the early days of John the Baptist, the wedding at Cana, through the marvellous scenes with Nicodemus. Powerful teaching continues as the signs of the kingdom unfold. So we anticipate that maybe we will move swiftly ahead through the Last Supper to Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. John's Gospel gathers pace, but then quite suddenly, John slows the tempo down. And he gives us four chapters we had perhaps not anticipated, chapters that we might not have missed if they hadn't been there, known as the Farewell Discourses, chapters 13 to 16, are full of solemn yet joyful teaching about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about the way that Jesus' friends and followers are to carry on his work, including facing the hatred of the world as he had done. John then does it again. He presents us with a chapter... That is totally unexpected, that we wouldn't have missed if it hadn't been there, but which, when we stand back and consider the gospel as a whole, we recognize this as a hidden gem that gives us deeper focus and meaning to the signs and the glory of the word made flesh. So we read together John chapter 17 verses 1 to 26. And Callum is going to read for us this morning.
1: You can uh, follow behind me on the screens, or if you wish, there are some uh, Bibles at the side that you're welcome to grab. But this is John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards the heavens and he prayed I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know "'That everything you have given me comes from you. For I, for, "'For I gave them the words you gave me, "'and they accepted them. "'They knew with certainty that I came from you, "'and they believed that you sent me. "'I pray for them. "'I am not praying for the world, "'but for those you have given me, "'for they are yours. "'All I have is yours.' and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for they, for them, I have sanctified myself so that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Amen.
0: Thanks, Callum. It's fair to say that I was introduced to the Bible at a fairly early age. Not for the first time have I, in my grandmother's presence, witnessed a Bible come flying through the air and in my direction. Her aim was perfect. Perfect. So yes, it's fair to say that I was introduced to the Bible quite often in these days and there was a bit of that going on as well in my house. But just to be clear my grandmother was a holy woman. Her public persona was as a God-fearing woman. But that belied her true self. She often used the Bible within her reach to either metaphorically or physically put the fear of God in you. However, behind closed doors, I remember her warm and compassionate heart. She was a woman of a certain generation and tradition Brought up in a Christian home in the early 1900s. She was a woman whose public and private relationship with God was often at odds. In the privacy of her family, we saw a glimpse of her true self. Her love of Scripture and utter belief in God's saving grace was amazing. Her servant and loving heart was her attempt to to live out her Christian faith in the footsteps of Jesus. And in her private moments and in the company of her closest friends, she would often read just loud enough for us all to hear this prayer that we've just read, Callum's just read for us. In fact to listen to her praying was wonderful she loved the lord and the language she used in prayerful conversation was uplifting itself if you were within earshot that was so here in our text today john once again invites us into the private moments of jesus As the public action stops and the public preaching ceases, Jesus spent his time talking to his close friends and explaining to them what's about to happen. And now we go one step further behind those even previous intimate conversations and we find ourselves in a place where Jesus is truly himself Indeed, John 17 contains the most extensive and profound prayer of Jesus that we have to draw on, I feel. You may remember that when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb, he made it clear that he had no need of expressing prayer because he is at one with God. Nevertheless, we know he did pray at that tomb for the benefit of Lazarus' sisters and others around who were within earshot. And the same is true here as well in this prayer. Jesus' whole life, his every being and doing was for the purpose of revealing God the Father. So we can consider it entirely appropriate that his teaching concludes in the form of a prayer and conversation with God, with whom he is one. The prayer pulls together many important themes from Jesus' teaching that we know already. It's like a summary, if you like, Um, all the important stuff that we know so far and a reminder, perhaps, to those within hearing distance that Jesus didn't have long on this earth. The time has come, he says. In previous chapters and scenes, we have been transported to the physical temple in Jerusalem. But in fact, I think the temple, the temple that dominates John's gospel from the very moment when John declares the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, that temple is Jesus. Jesus is the true spiritual temple, the true tabernacle, the place where we see a human form at the heart of the revealing of God's glory. Jesus is the true temple. And for me, the amazing drama of John's whole gospel is the tension between that very fact, between Jesus himself as the spiritual temple and that of the physical temple, the building in Jerusalem. And for the people of that time, the question was, Which of these temples is the place where God's glory is revealed? The spiritual or the physical? When Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem for the last time, we perhaps expect a confrontation. We expect him to go into the temple building once more and do something dramatic. Instead, he takes his disciples to the upper room, and he talks to them and talks to them and answers their questions. That's where we've been in previous weeks with our readings. That's where our previous readings have been pointing to that Jesus is the real temple, the place where God's glory is revealed, the place where heaven and earth meet. And now the words of Jesus Prayer confirms it. That same glory glimpsed by the prophets has at last returned. And Jesus is confirmed as the place of atonement. The place of atonement is not the physical temple as these people believed. And of course, the good news of Jesus is that as the spiritual temple... He is the place where heaven and earth meet in sacrificial love. That's why straight after this prayer, he faces the consequences of the joy of heaven and the misery of earth through his sacrifice on the cross. He becomes healer in the bridge between heaven and earth. He fuses both realities together. Up to now, in the upper room, Jesus had been talking to his friends about the Father. But now, it changes. Now he talks to the Father about his friends. So, this intimate time of prayer for Jesus marked the end of his earthly ministry, but looked forward to the ongoing ministry of the immediate and future disciples. And prayer was an important aspect of Jesus' ministry, as we know. When a strategic time approached, an important decision was to be considered or a worry put before God, Jesus spent time in prayer. However, in this case, and unlike previous occasions, Jesus' prayer before his arrest is not in a remote or isolated location. Off alone somewhere and clutched his hands together praying as his disciples nap no on this occasion he prays most likely sitting around a table after a meal and the extended conversations that we've read in previous chapters the extended conversations with his disciples hearing every word that Jesus says about them in prayer to the father I wonder how that felt for them to hear these words coming from Jesus' lips about themselves, his disciples. Did they understand all, a little or none of it? Did they believe all or a little of what he said? And as we talked about earlier, to overhear someone talking about you can be positive, positive, Or perhaps not. As I mentioned, the image, I imagined that Jesus would be praying just loud enough, just loud enough for his friends to hear. So, no doubt, the gathered few would be feeling quite pressured. And unfortunately, the truth was that Jesus was the only realist. In the upper room that night. He was the only one who could foresee what was coming next. He was telling it as it was and was to come. And we know that Jesus was already to face, was ready to face the events that John will tell us about in chapter 18 and beyond. And he knew he'd face these trials alone. He knew not only of Peter's impending implosion, but of the failure of them all. Yet here, as we read, is how he prayed about those very same people. The doubters, the betrayers, the weaklings and the downright confused. Jesus is about to be brutalized by the world and his dearest friends on earth would do nothing, nothing to stop it or even to stand with him in his pain and humiliation. So looking at our text, it's important that we acknowledge what's happening during the time in the life of Christ as well as what his disciples are about to encounter in the scenes that we know are to follow it's important to understand that this is potentially hours or moments before Jesus would be taken away by the officers and Pharisees, beginning the process of his trial and ultimately his crucifixion. And yet, he prays for them and for us. And while entirely willing to be obedient, to the will of God and God's plan for the salvation of humankind, Jesus was a hundred percent human, as well as a hundred percent God. As far from and far from dis- disowning his friends or being angry with them, Jesus prayed for them, and he did so spectacularly. as Jesus lifts his head to address the Father, does his words imply that he was praying from heaven? He is fully human and fully divine after all. And I'd like us just to recognize the significance of this. He speaks as if his work is already complete, and indeed, he even says, I am no longer in this world, but yet he is clearly right there with the disciples in the flesh. And they're hearing, within their hearing, as Jesus prays from the reality of heaven. Let's take a moment just to comprehend that. It's complicated, it's the true mystery of God and the relationship between Father and Son. It's way beyond our understanding as Jesus demonstrates his true nature, 100% human and 100% divine. The disciples listening must have found it confusing, complex, the oneness yet distinctness of father and son. Years ago, I remember being asked to deliver a Children's Address on Trinity Sunday. My task was to engage the young people in the thought of one substance with three forms. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It wasn't an easy subject. I'm sure you'll agree. I decided to use the props of ice, water, and steam. All of them forms of water, so one substance, three forms. Sorted or so I thought, I'd practised at home and my, as my slot in the service approached, I realised that my block of ice had melted and my kettle had fused. So unfortunately, all I had was water, water, water. As I panicked and I flapped around the front of the chancel, a little smarty pants, stood up in front of the congregation. She was from Sunday school and gave a perfect explanation for the adult congregation of God's ultimate nature, three and one. Specifically, she said that the Trinity is the doctrine that God is one in substance and three in person. She spoke for 10 minutes and got a round of applause as I left by the back door. <laughs> but never mind if we don't understand it. That's not what's important. It's what it means for us. That's the important part. And what it means is that in this kingdom and In the next. On earth as it is in heaven. We are protected. We are loved. We are held. And we are saved. Through Jesus Christ. And when we come. To know that. Nothing is the same ever again. Life is transformed. Never the same again. doesn't matter if we don't understand it. We just need to know it, believe it, and accept it. There are many stories in the New Testament that display how much love Jesus had for his people and for his most devoted followers. But his displays of love go I think this prayer is one of the greatest. Let's look at what Jesus prays for. He prays that the Father will protect his followers. Up to now, he's done that himself, keeping them safe from a world of darkness. It's so eager to quench the disturbing light of good news from the gospel. But now, with his imminent departure... He prays that the Father himself will continue this work of protection. We might be surprised that Jesus prioritizes this for his followers. We might have thought that he'd begin by praying that they would be fruitful in the building of the kingdom. We looked at John 15 a few weeks ago where Jesus sees his disciples as the branches of the vine. So why is protection for the disciples, for you, for me, a priority? Well, simply because there's no point in the vine trying to bear fruit if there's something rotting or gnawing at its root. Jesus fully understood the immediate danger he was in and also longer term for his followers. Protection was And still is required. Jesus looks ahead to his own departure. Realizing that he'd have to leave his friends. He'd have to leave them to keep working. In the midst of this highly challenging world. Protection from the destructive forces of life. That seem to knock the stuffing out of us. We know all about them. Protection that Christians around the world need in order to live in communities where Christ is still, unfortunately, condemned. Jesus accepted, too, that the success of his mission depended on the disciples' confidence and fearlessness, so much so that, that they wouldn't hide away from society or from people in the world who needed to hear the gospel message. No, the only way that this was going to work was if the disciples continued his work in the middle of the very same world that was about to reveal its character. That was the world in which they'd have to work. And that was why Jesus, in this prayer, had petitioned the Father on their behalf. I wonder, do we as a community of Christians need to hear this as a reality check today? Jesus' prayer perhaps reminds us that we should not expect smooth sailing, a free run of things. We maybe expect some Bibles coming at us now and again. But how often? Do we feel hurt when we encounter resistance to the gospel message in our personal or our work life? But I I think that throughout this whole chapter, there's a ringing confidence about the future in the voice of Jesus. He was with his disciples, the men God had given to him. He thanked God for them. And he never doubted that they would carry on the work he had given them to do. Let's remember who and what they were. A Christian historian once called them 11 Galilean peasants with three years work experience. Not very complimentary at all, but realistic. But they're good enough for Jesus. And in these 11, he trusts, he trusts them with the continuance of the building of God's kingdom on earth. Some may say that when Jesus left this world, he did not seem to have great grounds for hope. He seemed to have achieved so little and to have won over so few. And it was the great the orthodox and the religious of that day who turned against him. But Jesus had that confidence which springs from God. He was not afraid of small beginnings. He was not pessimistic about the future. He seemed to say, I've won only 11 very ordinary people, but give me these 11 Ordinary people, and I will change the world. Wouldn't it be great if we had the same confidence and belief system as Jesus? Well, he offers us that now. He offers us that now. Jesus had two things. Belief in God and belief in humanity. 100%. And it's one of the most uplifting things to think that Jesus put his trust in ordinary people like you and me. We too should never be daunted by our human weakness or by the small beginnings. We too should go forward in confident belief in God and in one another. Then we'll never be pessimists. Because with these two beliefs, the possibilities of life are infinite, endless. And with this prayer, we have God's protection. Disciples, as we know, are those who are commissioned to a task. As God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends out his disciples to bring the world back to God. And to make the world aware of God and God's love for all people, for ordinary people. This prayer is for all disciples of Christ, you and me, to win over the world for Him. To win over the world for Him. Are you up to the task? Prayer, meditation, fellowship, and worship is important, yes but it's not effective if we hide away as Christians or segregate ourselves from the rest of the world. Personally, I think it's the real rough and tumble of life that we can most effectively live out our Christian faith. Of course, there is a need of prayer in quiet times when we shut the door on the world to be alone with God but to demonstrate and live out Christ's nature in the ordinary work of the world is what we've been called for, surely. Jesus' teaching was never meant to withdraw people from life, but to better equip us all for it. At the end of his earthly life, it would be reasonable to assume that he felt acutely aware That the success of his work depended on the people he'd trained. So he prayed to the Father for their faith, their fulfillment, their future, their faithfulness and their fruitfulness, their fellowship and their sense of family. He prayed. When Jesus knew he had about 12 hours left to live. He didn't start any big projects. He didn't try to change laws. He didn't set up any new committees. He spent his time praying. He prayed for you and for me. If you had been within earshot, how would you have felt hearing Jesus praying for you? What difference would it make to hear Jesus praying for you now? Would it kick into gear your Christian witness and service? Would it encourage you to get to know Jesus, perhaps for the first time in your life? So I want us to take just a final few moments to hear what Jesus prayed for us again. Which parts of it will sit with you for the rest of the day, tomorrow or in the week ahead? Jesus is praying for you now.